Are you a new player or someone who's looking for a new ADW to bet from? Why don't you just go over and try Naira Bets. With Naira Bets, you can get a $200 match deposit bonus using promo code REWIND200. That's R-E-W-I-N-D-2-0-0. You can earn that $200 match deposit bonus just in time to also wager on some Kentucky Derby points this weekend happening at Fairgrounds Racetrack along with playing Aqueduct as well. Don't forget, that's promo code REWIND200. Try it at NairaBets.com or download the NairaBets app today. Terms and conditions do apply. Welcome to episode 78 of Redboard Rewind. My name is Spencer Luganbuehl, and today my special guest is an old Daily Gallup writer, a new in the money Saturday and Sunday writer. It's Ryan McCarthy, and we cover races 2, 3, and 4 from Saturday at Santinia and add on Bezos' debut from race number 5 on Sunday. And some angles that we talk about are... Why you need to use multiple handicapping services like formulaire, time form, workout reports to become a better handicapper. And when looking at siblings and pedigrees, see how they improve first start of each year to help with other runners who are also making their first start, maybe from two to three, three to four, four to five. This is Redboard Rewind. It's the same old story. And now I'd like to welcome in my special guest for this week. It's a Daily Gallup alum. It's a new In the Money rider. It's Ryan McCarthy. Ryan, how are you today? Doing great, man. Glad to be back, Spencer. Thanks for having me. How is your Super Bowl Monday hangover going on? Well, you know, I'm a diehard Patriots fan, so was clearly rooting Tom Brady on, and no further discussion to be had. He is the greatest of all time by far. And you just got to sit back and appreciate greatness, man. It was, it was fantastic to watch. I, I would love now to this point to hear the counter argument. Cause I just don't see if one can really be made at this point. No, absolutely cannot. If you're going to try to make an argument against it, you're ridiculous and need to get your head checked. So <laughs> just give up. if it's, if you're a giants fan and just trying to grasp at straws, don't do it. He's the best. Give it to him. So, obviously, you were a writer for the Daily Gallup. Now you've moved over in the money. You have this new, interesting kind of angle t- angle take with your uh, write-up, how you kind of, you know, pick your spots and why you're betting against a horse or why you like a horse as a favorite. Why do you like that kind of write-up more than just, you know, the general, here's nine races, here's my top three picks? Because I, even from the beginning with the Gallup, I've always liked your idea because you add extra stuff to it, stats, you know, your time, time form, thorough graph, all that different kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wanted to do something a little bit different. I mean, at the end of the day, I think there's so many articles out there that, that state, you know, here's my top three picks and here's why. And you know, for me, it, it, it just gets a little old in terms of writing that way. So I certainly wanted something that's going to, you know, in, entice me to to write more. And I love doing it. So, you know, the way that I'm looking at these articles now is, you know, we call it a, a case for and a case against. And really, I'm looking for some short price, either favorites or close to favorites to go ahead and and try to beat and build a case for why they may be vulnerable on a certain day. And then taking a look at some of the longer odds horses horses and saying, you know, why do they have a chance? And let's dig in a little bit deeper and 
use some of the resources and tools that are out there for, you know, all the horse players and take some snippets from that and really take a show my work approach to, you know, why I'm making a case for or against the horse. I feel too, when you look at everything, Brisnet, DRF, Equibase, then you have Thorograph, Ragazin, Timeform. There's just so much stuff out there that it's hard enough to learn one thing, let alone, you know, compiling your data all together. Like I have a hard enough time mixing Timeform with DRF Formulator to where, you know, people say, oh, I spend 15 minutes on a race. And I'm like, how is that possible when almost if they're only looking at one thing? Because for me, I'm looking at, you know, three or four different things. It takes me a half an hour race. Uh, I know. I mean, I agree with you fully. And, you know, reading some articles from, you know, horse players out there that have success, uh, you know, back in the day when I was really coming up, I, I used to always see successful players make the notion of do something different than just the form because everybody's looking at the form. Mm -hmm. So learn a new tool, learn a new angle and, and try to be a little bit different in your approach because all of those tools, you know, have a purpose and they have different angles to look at. So the more you really try to learn some of these new tools, the better off you are, but you're right. I mean, time is, is huge in this. And, you know, for me, I, I could easily spend an hour to 90 minutes on a race if I really wanted to dig that deep. And that's kind of the other purpose of the article is to try to shine some light on some of these tools where someone says, Hey, I've never seen that before. And, you know, let me see what he has to say about it and, you know, maybe get them interested in trying it out. And, you know, maybe they end up spotting a winner or seeing things a little differently. It's not always about just picking winners at the end of the day. It's about learning and, you know, trying to adapt your approach. I feel too, just from doing this podcast now for over a year, I almost in a sense, enjoy doing the recapping more than just the handicapping. Like, if I see a horse and I say this horse should run, you know, a mid 70 to like, you know, low 80 buyer. And then after the race, it's like 78. It's like, okay, I had that horse pinned exactly where I thought it was going to be. Or maybe you see a horse get loose on the lead in the last race. So you downgrade that race. And then you see that the horse just kind of didn't improve as much coming into this race. Uh, it's, it's such a three layered approach. It's, you know, handicapping. Then you have to watch the races, taking your notes. And then you have to, you have to recap and really, study it's almost like you should take not as much time but it's also your wagering too it's there, there's so many facets to it and to be good at this game it, you really really have to take the time and effort and it's it's difficult with whatever one's going on you know it's with me between the full-time job podcast now i'm doing the raps for oakland i oakland this last week baffled me until sunday i actually hit i had four out of five in the early pick five and it was just it was finally like the breakthrough i think i needed for the meet yeah, I, I'm in the same boat, man. I have a, a wife, a daughter, and, and finding time in the day to, to do that three-layered approach you know, can be tough, but you, you hit it on the head. It's so important, and I think a lot of handicappers out there stop after the race is over. Um, you know, For me, that's really where it gets started to try mm -hmm. to spot a horse for the next time out or find something in that race that you can take note of that you know, can give you an edge um, on a future race. So I, I love that you're doing it in this fashion. I'm sure you've learned a lot in, in doing it as well. Um, it, it's such an important aspect of handicapping. What have you learned so far from this meet at Santini? Is there anything that's, you know, speaking out to you so far to kind of just like, you know, the same old notions, like one for me is always if Baffert plays one on the turf first time out, try to avoid him when he finally gets it over to the dirt. Cause if he'd wanted it on the dirt in the first place, the horse is probably no good to begin with. Yeah. I, I feel like the track profile as a whole has been fairly consistent, even after the rains uh, here this past week. So, you know, 
the dirt track, you know, we've been taking a pretty safe approach to. Mm-hmm. So in the past, the you know, reputation of, of all of the West Coast tracks in Southern California has been it, it's speed. It is, it's going to be hard and it's going to be fast. And if you get on the lead, watch out. And that's not necessarily the case, especially for, for this meet. And, you know, I feel that the front end dirt runners have, have really been up against it. Now, uh, where you see a lot of the pressers or early pace forces end up coming from off of it. And then conversely on the, on the turf, you, you really want to be on the front. You either want to be right on the front or, or pressing. And that's been the position that's really led to some winners here so far, where being far off of it on the turf at Santa Anita has not been uh, the place to be. I don't want you to give away all the secrets, but is there any jockey or trainer so far that maybe people are maybe not giving enough credit to, or maybe a, a trainer or jockey that's doing very well that maybe you're downgrading in certain spots? Well, small time trainers that I really like. I mean, I, I love Ryan Hansen. I think he's, he, he's a hard worker. He's up and coming. He's got some good quality horses that he's adding to his stable. I think he's one to watch. That's really under the radar. Um, I've always liked the glat on dirt sprints approach. Uh, that, that's his wheelhouse. We'll talk a little bit about uh, that angle with one of our races here today. And then you, you just can't top riskfully on, on the turf. I mean, he has just been an absolute madman in, in winning races. And he's winning at a 33% plus clip right now on the green. Um, and it, it's, it's just been unreal. His string that he ripped off last year, you know, everybody was having the conversation, is this the best turf rider? And the East Coasters obviously taking offense to that and saying he's nowhere near the caliber of uh, the Ortiz brothers or uh, other jocks out there. But he continues to just build that resume and continues to be strong. He needs to add a few more graded stakes wins to his belt to really be up there in the, the upper echelon jockeys in the nation. But he's going to be there. Yeah, he's the real deal. We were talking about last week, it was me and uh, Curtis Calloward from the Magic Mike show. We said how Mark, uh, when I go through and I kind of look at the top 10 trainers, Mark Glatt was always one, when even when he wasn't like you know in the top 10 so far, he just – Dirt sprinting is like 24%. Everything else, he's like sub-17. It's just like finding those trainers that do like not 10 things good, but one thing well and the others not so much. It, the horses, they usually grow off at like, you know, 5, 7 to 1 because they only see him as a 12% trainer. Well, when you double that to 24, what should his horses really be in that spot? Yep. And the other trainer, too, that's, that's just unbelievably streaky um, is is peter miller i mean he's either red hot or ice cold yep you really gotta find those those patterns with with pete when he's on a hot streak especially with turf sprints and you have to include them but when he's cold his horses still take money and he's still going to be very popular at the window so the value ends up going out the window there and and you can be bold um and, and go ahead and fade uh, from from his horses, so you know definitely some things to pay attention to in terms of when trainers get hot and cold here on on the West Coast. Let's go ahead and jump into our first of four races. We're covering three from Saturday, one from Sunday. I'll let you guys guess what that one would have been. Race number two from Santanita was a maiden special weight going one away miles on the turf. What'd you like in here? Yeah, I had all my focus on the number two sweetest angel and the favorite Ivy League in this one, uh, where. I used both of my horizontal plays, but was centering most of my tournament action as I was in the Express Bet Live money contest 
around Sweetest Angel um, and the price that she was going to have. That she was a morning line ten to one, I believe. When I looked at Sweetest Angel right off the rip, I kind of saw George Papadromo at two percent on the turf, and if if trainers are certainly under five percent. I really do try and avoid, even if they are going to be somewhat of a price. This one, obviously, going off at six to one, took some money, which kind of scared me even more from wanting to play. Uh, when I looked through here, I, I kind of saw the number four, uh, Pocacina, with Joel Rosario. Always been a fan of Joel, and seeing how the horse was, you know, in a good spot in the se- in the second time start. Michael McCarthy also a very good trainer, nineteen percent in routes, early pace. And then kind of made a nice little close at about, you know, f- 9 to 2, 4 to 1. And this one still was 4 to 1 going up to the window. I thought that this horse was very interesting. Cider Apple for Jeff Mullins, first time U.S., I thought could be somewhat interesting. I was trying to avoid Ivy League just because the horse had lost so many times at a short price. I obviously was the horse to beat, but I mean, it's kind of hard to just take the price you were getting. Yeah, I mean, Ivy League had run some tough trips. And if you look at the last three trips, I mean, there was really trouble in each of them. And, and prior to that, it was just up, up against tough company. Um, but but for Sweetest Angel, for me, and I agree with you, ha- having George on turf was certainly a hesitation for me. And that six to one that went off was very last click. I mean, when it was zero minutes to post, I believe it was 12 or 13 to one on the board. So there was some, some big late money coming in on Sweetest Angel, and it certainly wasn't mine. Um, but some of the things that stuck out here for this horse was uh, on Thorograph was only one point behind Ivy League. Um, so with Ivy League taking all the money, with this one being so close um, in a turf route, uh, and having a little bit of break from the two-year-old season to the three-year-old season, just saw a lot of opportunity to improve, especially because the one where she earned the 13-figure, uh, she had trouble and clearly had comfort issues throughout the race. So my thought was, if they figure this horse out and can get her comfortable, she has every reason to improve on this race. And as I dug deeper and looked at the pedigree, of Swedish Angel, you, you see the siblings, uh, Dr. Troutman and Ruse Valentine, both improved big from two to three. And then the, the big thing was the blinkers off, then on, then off again. So, you know, to me, that's a little bit of concern because that's telling me, you know, George is really trying to figure, figure this one out. But my hope and my theory in making the bet in this one was I'm hoping that we'll see a sharper break because now she's got some experience. So maybe she doesn't need the blinkers anymore and we'll see a sharper break out of the gate. And then Drading can give her a little bit more of an aggressive ride to either get her on or near the lead, which as I explained a little while ago, that's where you wanna be on these turf races. So with that, looking at pace, there really wasn't a whole lot of it in this race. So there was an opportunity for this one to, to be loan. So loan speed's always dangerous. That was really going to be my angle going into this, an improver, one that wasn't far off from the top figure in the race and could have a beneficial pace angle uh, to go ahead and snatch away the win. Two things you brought up there that I loved. One, lone speed on the turf. Everyone talks about late kick and class, and I think that you can sometimes now especially steal a lot more races on the front end turf, especially when you look at Naira with all this you know, grabbing and holding back. Another one that I loved was, a lot of people, when they go into pedigree, they look at the siblings and they see, you know, oh, three, three of the four siblings, one on turf, that's good enough. 
the fact that you did the deeper dive as well and, okay, well, where did they improve? Oh, from two to three. Maybe, you know, if someone looked in there, maybe all three of them, that one were two-year-olds, you know, maybe they're just precocious. And now they won't have that big jump into three. But to see that and know that, and I think also not knowing, like you had said, that the big hit in money came at the last second, someone obviously thought that 12 to one was a steal. And then they, when they uh, bumped it down, they really must have put a solid, solid bet into the pool out there in Santini on Saturday. Yep, absolutely. And yeah, I felt good about this one. And you know, when you're you're playing the the live money tournaments, you know, and this one you had three hundred dollars of bankroll to play with. So you got to take your shots uh, where you where you feel confident. And you know, this was one uh, that I took my shot on. Um, we'll get to the other one here in a little bit, uh, but at the price at zero minutes to post at twelve to one, you know, that's where the importance of prices is, 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 is key, right? At the end of the day, if I see this horse just not far off of Ivy league in a turf route where anything can happen uh, when you're looking at even money versus 12 to one, you take 12 to one all day. And you know, that was my mindset. For me, it was the number four Focaccina for Ryan. It was the number two sweetest angel. Let's see who wins and breaks their maiden here in a second right now. And they're off. Quick start for Whistler Styles. Sweetest Angel is also part of the early spade. And Ivy League joins them from the far outside. By the stands the first time, and it's Whistler Style. Clearing off to be in front by two. Midnight Diva joins second inside of Ivy League. And now Sweetest Angel is fourth, about three lengths off the pace. A three-wide Miss Peaky Binder is next, followed by Focaccina. Pink Silks, six off the lead. Highland Haven toward the back of the field and Cider Apple Trails. It's Whistler's style in front by two lengths. Tracked by the favorite Ivy League in second. And on the inside comes Midnight Diva third. Passed now by Miss Peaky Blinder, who's into the third spot pretty easily and two lengths off the leader. Sweetest Angel is in the fifth spot. Focaccina next, Highland Haven, Cider Apple. They're covered by seven lengths heading to the half-mile pole. And it is the long shot, Whistler Style, who's been prominent throughout, has a two-length lead on Ivy League, who's cutting into the margin a bit second. Then it's Midnight Diva, Miss Peaky Blinder on the outside, Sweetest Angel is in between those two. At the rail, Highland Haven and Focaccina are right together. Focaccina about four lengths off the lead, and Cider Apple has trailed throughout. Midway on the turn, Whistler style, Ivy League a half length back, a three wide Miss Peaky Blinder is in third. Sweetest Angel been between horses throughout, gets some breathing room. Focaccina swings out far outside as Midnight Diva drops back. Ivy League takes the lead. Sweetest Angel in hot pursuit on the outside into second, followed by Whistler style third. It's Ivy League a length and a half close to home. Sweetest Angel trying hard, late run from Cider Apple. Ivy League graduates by a length. And the number eight. The money burner Ivy League does get it done, paying 440 with a 73 buyer. Sweetest Angel runs on and gets a solid, solid second, just losing by less than half, uh, three quarters of a length. Had to be really, really happy with that run. Pretty painful, actually, because that was pretty heavy on the win end. Oh, I thought, I, I thought it might have been win place. That's yeah, unfortunately on. not in this case. I, I was pretty bold, and you know, you're always retrospective in this. It would have been nice to have uh, some exacta money since, you know, those were the two that I was looking at. But at the end of the day, I took a shot uh, with the uh, higher priced horse and didn't come through. But it was a little frustrating just watching this trip. And 
you know, hoping that this one would get the lead. Clearly, that was not the plan or the instructions that that Drayden was given. And if he was given those, he he, he didn't follow them because there was no urgency to get this one to the front at all. And you can see clearly, you know, right off the bat, you know, she was fighting, and she 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 was even a bit rank there going into the turn. So just constantly turning her head and, and fighting Drayden quite a bit, and just expending a lot of energy in doing so. And even on the back stretch, never really looked comfortable. Um, ears were pinned back, was between horses, but still finished up nice. And you can see after the race, a really nice gallop out. The ears were pricked after she ended up going by Ivy League. So there's some confidence there. I just got to think that, you know, this one, if you put her in the clear or you put her on the lead, that could be the light bulb here for, for this horse in the next race. And I'm hoping George does so. I, I think it'll be interesting, too, knowing what the price will be next time out, because George obviously still is 2% turf. Everyone sees that. Nobody wants to play that. And for having run so well at 6-1 to one against what was by far the most you know obvious horse in the race, and I think it's interesting, too, that Ivy League goes off at above even money. I think it's still going to be a money burner down the road, but would you consider Ivy League with all the money that had been burned but being what looked like the sole horse to probably play in the race – if you didn't like anybody else based on numbers, was that value? Yeah. I mean, when you look at, at the pace dynamics of this, say after seeing what she went off at, mm -hmm. uh, you can certainly make a case for value there. Um, Long-term and continuing to bet this horse, probably not uh, as, as got a perfect trip, got a perfect pace scenario. So is there a lot of positives to really bet into this one when going up against winners next time? Uh, I, I don't think that she'll have value. I, I think two people have to realize a horse like Ivy League, when horses inherit leads like this against longer priced horses, they didn't do anything to win a race. When you see a horse, you know, come three, four, five wide and really have to gut it out against, you know, two or three other horses. This one just said, OK, you're backing up. I'm going to go by. And everyone else was a step or two behind. Yeah, absolutely. And. Ivy League's always has always been a good morning worker, so I think she'll always you know have those big workout reports going into races, which always you know help action at the windows. So I do think that this one's going to continue to be his poor value in the future. Um, and one I look to bet against next out if it's the right race shape. Let's move on to race number three. It was the Grade Three Las Virgins going one mile on the dirt. Favoritism toward the number three, Moonlight to Oro, even money. Flavian Pratt, Richard Mandela off a slow-paced maiden win. What were your thoughts in here? Yeah, so this was part of the write-up uh, on the In the Money blog, and I took a shot against Moonlight the Oro here. So a few things really jumped out at me in saying, you know, this is a good spot to take a shot against, uh, what is most likely going to be an odds-on favorite. Uh, the biggest thing is... I, when horses come off big races at Los Al, I always take note of that because it is not the same course or same configuration by any means to playing Del Mar or Santa Anita. Uh, the the long stretch um, at that track compared to the other tracks is just wildly different. And when you're looking at final times, and that's something I'm really big on, I like looking at final eighth times, final quarter times, um, especially uh, with turf races, but in this case on dirt, the number was really good. Um, but then I take a look at the track that it was done on. I'm like, okay, I got to take that with a grain of salt. So, you know, to me, that also equates to just poor value. 
as as people are going to see that time and not everybody's going to connect the dots that, that it's because of the low cell configuration. And the other big part was I, I saw that the company that she's up against here was just rapidly improving. I mean, the Miraz victory, the, the last win by Calypso in the stakes race, watching the replay of Honor America and, and the toughness that she showed in the lane. I mean, talk about gameness saying watch that replay of her race prior to this one and all of them I, I, you can just make a really good case for the big risk in all of this was going to be the pace scenario is all of them like to fly early and really the only one with late kick that that stood out could be moonlight dioro but you know she was also um up on the lead or close to the lead in her last race as, as well so that was the part that was just tough to, to, to figure out. And you had to assume if there was going to be a pace meltdown, she would be the one that benefit benefited. But I was hoping that either Miraz or Calypso would further their improvement off of their big last races, which is always a risk. But in a short field like this and a short price that I knew Moonlight Dioro would be, that was the um, stance I was going to take. I think too, like when you just break this field down, First of all, and listen, I did write-ups for Scott Shapiro, like I've said on the show plenty of times, for Santini. I hate the short the short five-horse fields. Kind of sucks when you have the even money shot. I thought Mraz's last race was fantastic. He upgraded, obviously, on a fast pace, 129 time form early, sub-23 going a mile. Looked really well there. Calypso was just the classiest horse in the field. She had just gotten done winning the grade two Santa Inez. She had finished second in the Starlet. She had won the... Uh, Anoki as at the end of her uh, two-year-old season and just one that, again, maybe I'm just the Joel fanboy, but having him on. Moonlight Diora, I love what you said. Everything from Low Sal. I'm trying to think of another spot where I just feel that way when I, they come from, when they ship over. And it's just, it doesn't, like, not that I feel dirty playing that type of horse, but just, I, it's just a different feel, like you had said, between Del Mar and Santa Anita. And the fact that it was done on a slow pace, I didn't want, anything to do with this horse. I understand why the horse is even money in the line because buyers rule the window, but just wanted nothing to do with this one. I thought Calypso was going to be the class of the field. Then I get thunderstruck when I look at the board and I see that Calypso is even money and Moonlight Zero is going off at 1.3 to 1. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was a little shocked there too. And quite honestly, it gave me a, a little bit more confidence because when you see a, a Baffert being bet like that, um, you, know, you, you have to assume it's going to be live, but yeah, there was just a lot that was just sticking out. And, you know, the, the low style dynamics, don't get me wrong. It is nothing against the course at all. It is just more about uh, the configuration and the style more than anything. And these horses that can build up momentum in that stretch and just fly by late and it not, not everybody has that additional gear to go ahead and, and fly a straightaway for more than a quarter of a mile um, like they do there. So just a, a, a different um, type of running style that it takes to succeed at Low Sal than it does at Santa Anita. So, you know, I was just hoping to take the value and run with it um, in this race. For you, what was your tournament play in this race? Well, I had doubles um, coming out of the last race that were obviously dead. Mm-hmm. And I had a double going into the next race that we will talk about. In this one, I had Miraz and Calypso uh, for the doubles going into a single in the next race. For me, it was Calypso, a little bit uh, hard with the even money, but I guess, like you had said, I kind of gained some confidence there. Let's see who can win the Great Three Lost Virgin is right now. 
And they're off. Calypso flies out of the gate. Mraz has some speed at the rail. Honor America hustled up. And those three will vie for it in the opening quarter mile. Brilliant Cut is next, and Moonlight Doro is content to trail them early. Calypso the leader by a length. Honor America and Mraz right together, second and third, with Brilliant Cut fourth. Two and a half or three lengths off the lead. Moonlight Doro tucks in at the rail. Four lengths front to back, six furlongs to go in the Las Virginis. And it's Joel Rosario and Calypso in control early by a length and a half. Honor America second, Mraz orange colors at the rail, joined three wide by Brilliant Cut, and another two to Moonlight Doro. Past the five-eighths they go, and it's Calypso cruising along. Maintains a one-length lead on Honor America with Mraz at the rail. Still Brilliant Cut outside of that pair, and another length back to Moonlight Doro. No change since the gate opened. Calypso is the boss, three furlongs from the money. Let's it out a notch, opens up two. Brilliant cut on the outside, takes second. Mraz, Honor America is losing just a bit of ground. And now Moonlight Doro starts to come in. Moonlight Doro, white cap, making a sudden move on the outside after Calypso. Calypso joined by Moonlight Doro as the field turns for home. Mraz is down on the inside, but it's all Moonlight Doro with serious momentum at the eighth pole, handridden. Takes the better hand over Calypso. Two and a half more back to Mraz. Moonlight Doro striding clear past the 16th pole. And she'll win the Las Virginis easily. Calypso a game second. Then it was Mraz and Brilliant Cut. And the number three, Moonlight Doro got it done paying 460 with an 85 buyer. I mean, the buyer dropped a little bit, but man, did this horse look good coming down the stretch. Yeah, and got got that pace set up, right? Mm -hmm. So you saw a pace battle up front and... Uh, Flavian just sat right off of it and just waited for that perfect time to make the move and had plenty left. Um, yeah, so this one definitely showed more than I thought she would and, you know, certainly made me look silly in doing so. But when you have a chance to try to beat a short price like this, you know, I'll continue to do it. You always hear people say like, oh, I tried to beat the favorite, the favorite one anyway. Do you take anything out of this the way you look at the horse now? Is it any different like – for me, I thought that she wouldn't run as well. You know, 87 to 85, she pretty much ran the same. Whereas, you know, Calypso coming out of her race ended up running an 82 and just couldn't get the job done. She barely improved as well. It was kind of like the top three just stagnated and didn't do any improving. So Moonlight DR won by default with a pace setup. Yeah, I fully agree with you. That's that's how I saw this race, too. I think coming out of this, you know, with this being a, a – a eventual stepping stone to the Santa Anita Oaks. Uh, I, I don't know if any one of them in here uh, really have me excited. And uh, I, I was really hoping Mraz would step up. I and mean, it's Michael McCarthy typically doesn't have them cranked up early and you see really good steady improvement from his really good horses. And that's what I was um, hoping on here. But it also got, got the rail. And I remember uh, listening to Mike on his pre-race interview about this one, he wasn't thrilled about being on the rail. Um, but also sounded very confident in, in the horse's ability. So, you know, maybe a, a better post um, with a better pace situation where, you know, being inside and taking the most, the, all the pressure from the outside pace in this one just wasn't a good flow for that horse. So that would, this, that would be the only horse that I would really take a close look next time to say can really jump out of this race and potentially improve. I can't agree with you more there. Let's move on to race number four from Saturday at Santa Anita. It was the grade two San Marcos, mile and a quarter on the turf. 
somewhat of a full uh, six-horse field in here. What'd you like? So we started off the show talking about the track profile, and um, I took a shot against my own words and against the track profile here because there was a lot jumping out at me for Oscar Dominguez. And this is not a horse that I have bet at all in the past, um, one that I often take a shot against, but a, a few things that I really liked. First, the competition that he has been up against in the past. And if you look at his last four or five races, Arclo, United, Red King, Zulu Alpha, and these are all Breeders' Cup type horses. Uh, you know, legit horses that, that you can understand him just not getting into the winner's circle. Number two is style. Uh, small fields really help with horses that are coming from off of it. And if you have a large 11, 12 horse field, which quite honestly, a lot of these stake races do, may have larger fields in these um, turf routes, it, it's harder to go ahead and navigate your path to victory from um, behind in the pack. So I really felt the small field will really help this one style and potentially, you know, get Umberto to be a little bit closer up. And, and three, having Umberto back up. Um, you know, he missed by less than a length last year in the same race against a much better racehorse in United. And there's no United in this field. So those three things, I think, really almost blinded me a little bit to, to the pace here. Um, but looking at it going in, you know, I saw Acclimate with the, we know Acclimate's going to go. And my theory, based on the last effort and recent works of Master of Foxhounds, would be that he'd be closer and potentially apply some some pressure to Acclimate and just not let that one go off loan and, and get away with it. So that was my hope, was that those two would put a little bit of pressure on each other, that we'd see at least a steady pace to a fast pace that would set up well for all those reasons mentioned above for Oscar Dominguez. Um, and this was my all-in horse in, in the tournament because, uh, again, I'm always playing for value and I'm trying to look for things that others aren't, almost like the Billy Bean theory in, in Moneyball. Like, mm -hmm. I don't care how you look. Uh, I don't care how you dress. Uh, if you can play baseball and get me some value and you're going to be a cheaper contract, then, then great. Same thing with horses. Like, you know, some of these old horses, he's eight years old, Oscar Dominguez. You know, people probably aren't going to bet him because he's eight. Um, but if you look at his thoroughbred figures, remarkably consistent, like fours across the board for, for the past two years. So nothing in his figures were saying this one's losing a step. Um, so at, at that point, why not? This one's going to be seven to two, four to one, six to one, because uh, I, I had a feeling it would float up with the competition in this race and the workouts of Master of Foxhounds. Um, you know, I felt good taking a stab here, especially with uh, Rispoli up and going all in on them. Uh, we have the same exact horse. I I think, too, what, I love what you said about being eight and how people might just not bet. I'm a little bit leery about that, too, off layoffs. Usually it's kind of like I feel like when you get out of bed, you got to stretch a little bit the older you get and kind of need that one, one or two races to warm up. I thought the bullet at San Luis Rey, one of 17, 59 and two, was just that he, he was awake. He was ready to go. Like you had said, just so consistent. Off the layoff in the San Marcos from last year, it just missed against United. Cleopatra strike the horse in the rail also ran in that race. Acclimate, I also thought, was a little bit consistent. I don't understand after the, after the layoff, you go from a grade two down to a state-bred turf stake, unless if maybe you're losing faith in the horse. And 
obviously ran well third on a really hot pace, but just didn't get the W and went from a 101 to a 93. So I was very much against Acclimate and maybe that they were just didn't really know what to do with the horse anymore, or maybe the horses mm-hmm. couldn't get it done. I'm very, very much against a horse like Master of Hounds until they win. Won the second start, improved greatly. Had a nice bullet as well, minute and four. I just think that looking back at this race and just being so much against Acclimate, who took a ton of money, I think how much money Master of Hounds took should have tipped everyone off to what we were about to see. Yeah, I agree. And I'm I'm a big uh, workout report guy, and you know I love uh, reading Andy Harrington's work uh, with National Turf, and he was jumping off the page in this one. And but when I looked at the thoroughgraph figures, he was so far behind. Uh, where Oscar Dominguez was. So I I certainly trust Andy's eye and being able to spot a, a great horse. I think he's fantastic at it and especially fantastic at, you know, someone spotting improvement from, you know, past races based on how they're looking in the morning. And that's what he was seeing here. But one of the things I do take uh, with a grain of salt on those workout reports is, you know, horses that are working on do- dirt, but uh, that are going to run on the turf. So are, are, is it going to translate at the end of the day? So yeah, I took a little grain of salt there. Typically, uh, I like playing those big workhorses, uh, but this one, uh, there was just too much in the thoroughgraph figures uh, for Oscar Dominguez for me to get off of them and stuck my bet there. It's a Red Bull Rewind consensus pick here with Oscar Dominguez. Let's see if he can get it done here in a grade two right now. They're off in the San Marcos. Bit of a bobble for Master of Foxhounds, but he came out well enough. Acclimate takes the lead. Master of Foxhounds on the inside, headstrong, and these two are stride for stride as they cross the dirt and get on to the main course. Salvatore Mundi races third in the early going, followed by Cleopatra Strike, who's just inside starting over, and two to Oscar Dominguez. They have a little more than a lap to go, and Tyler Bays has Acclimate. Cruising along up top, has it by two and a half lengths. Master of Foxhound second, Salvatore Mundi a clear-cut third. Then it's Cleopatra strike and starting over, and an unhurried Oscar Dominguez. Eight lengths covers the field, acclimate to catch. Where he likes it, on his own up top. He's in front by three lengths. Master of Foxhounds is tracking in second. Another two back to Salvatore Mundi in third. Then comes starting over and Cleopatra strike and Oscar Dominguez. No change in the running order. It's acclimate by two lengths to Master of Foxhounds, who won't let him get away up top. Another three and a half or so back to Salvatore Mundi in third. Starting over Cleopatra strike. Oscar Dominguez yet to do his best running. There's a half mile to go in the San Marcos. Acclimate got it all his own way. And it's the California bred bounding along with a two and a half length lead. Master of Foxhounds trying to close in now from second. Salvatore Mundi four lengths off the pace in third. Starting over Cleopatra strike. And now Oscar Dominguez called on getting a little bit closer but still with plenty of work to do. They turn for home. Acclimate. Master of Foxhounds a length and a half back and closing in now. And Master of Foxhounds very confidently handled. Quickly puts away Acclimate and starts to pull away. Acclimate gamely holding second. It's a battle for third. Master of Foxhounds wins the San Marcos. And Master of Foxhound, the number two, gets it done paying 540 with a 94 buyer. Took that wonderful step up. 
We uh we ran dead last, Ryan. I don't really know what to say about this race. All came down to pace. Um, I mean, the pace was slow, and the fact that his running style was already against the track profile, and Oscar Dominguez being dead last early and losing ground was was going to make this run a tough one. But in reality, he never really picked up his feet anyways. Um, so maybe now is finally losing a step, and we'll probably see that in the figure when it comes out with Thorograph. Uh, but going into the race well, without seeing that decline, um, it was a spot I was willing to go ahead and bet on, but unfortunately we got him on, on the, sh- on the sharp drop, um, in overall points. He, uh, he ended up running an 81 on the buyer scale. Is this one that you think you're willing to give one more shot to? Cause obviously running so badly in this race, he's not going to go, you know, down in odds. I'm sure you might get double digits next time. If they put him in another stake race, is this one that you're willing to bet back? Yeah, only if it depends on the track profile and depends mm-hmm. on pace. I, I think those are two things you have to look at immediately with Oscar Domingos. And, you know, here, you know, looking back at it, I think I let all those other big positives really uh, overshadow, you know, the pace concern here. And you know, I was hopeful Master of Foxhounds would be up there um, on the lead and you know, he got a great trip. And he sat off of it, but he, he was still close enough and, and pounced when needed. And Acclimate did his thing, um, but it, it was slow. And if I'm going to bet back Oscar Dominguez, there's going to have to be a lot of pace in it and a track that I'm comfortable can play to closers. It's so hard because obviously, like, I, I do like to play, you know, some double win bets. And I liked Master of Foxtown on the improve. And I also liked Oscar Dominguez. But obviously, when one is, you know, sub two to one, the other one's five to one, you know who I'm going to bet. And I'm just not going to play two horses in that. Usually for me, they have to both be above three to one. And. It's kind of weird because obviously I had the winner and he was such a sharp, sharp winner and just improving. Maybe my idea with Oscar, and it's, it's so hard because if I had known he was going to throw a dud in, then then the bet's easy. But knowing that he had been so, like you said, so consistent with the thoroughgraph numbers too, I don't think I made a mistake in this race. I don't think I got unlucky either. I just think it was the way the numbers fell. And if I'm looking at it in the long run, you know, I just have to keep playing those five to ones and hope that I pick enough of them correctly to where I can be positive because the, the sub two to one shots, you have to be, you know, five, six, seven, eight out of 10, right. To be positive. Yep. Absolutely. This is a game where you, you can't be afraid to lose and you, you're going to lose way more often than you win. And you got to be able to find that right price. Uh, that's going to make up for those losses and constantly just being worried about being a winner um, and picking a winner is probably going to lose bankroll for you in the long run because you just can't do it constantly picking the, picking the favorites and uh, you got to find that value. And in this case, you know, I thought I had it with Oscar Dominguez and I think there's a few things could have looked at differently, but he made my play and lost and move on. Let's move on to uh, Sunday. Now race number five, we're talking about some horses that are all triple crown nominated. The number five Bezos is pretty much the second coming of God. According to the future pool hasn't even had a race yet and was 26 to one in the future. So did you like Bezos or were you on someone else? was dead set against Bezos. Um, so, yeah, I picked this race because there was just so much buzz on this horse coming in. It was unbelievable. I don't think I've seen so much buzz on a three-year-old Baffert um, that hasn't run and, quite honestly, hasn't shown much in the mornings either. So, mm-hmm. well, really confused on where all the buzz was coming from. Um, but that was one thing I knew about this race. I wasn't, I was not only not going to, to bet Bezos, I was Bezos. I was not going to include in horizontals either. So I was dead set against, 
Um, on the betting side, I just thought value was going to be terrible. So when you hear this much buzz about a first-time Baffert starter, you know it's going to get bet at the windows. So when we saw that, uh, ended up taking some money early and then started to level out. The, the works are just not what you normally see of a Baffert monster that's going to trounce on debut. So, you know, things I'm looking for in that those Baffert patterns, you know, that sharp six furlong work before, yeah, before the debut, you know, not working. Um, he's not working currently with some of Baffert's top, top horses in the barn. So the fact that he's working against some of Baffert's lower stock you know, isn't really encouraging. And then Baffert typically likes to work some of his best solo, not seeing that either. So, you know, to me, all of those were signs of, you know, maybe this horse still needs some time and he, he's built, he's big I and mean, a big horse like this, you know, maybe it's just needs some foundation underneath him for longer races. So the fact that this one's bred for distance, looks like a distance horse, is a big horse, you know, the, the six and a half furlongs just wasn't screaming you know, value to me for, for betting this horse. So there was a lot of things that just had me against Bezos here on debut. I was also against, just like you had said, Buzz Horse. Two things that were a little bit confusing to me. One, in the workout pattern, why do we see two gate works? By the way, 46 and 1, I don't think I've ever yep. seen, you know, sub 47 out of the gate. But then he has to work him out twice again from the gate. So, like, in, in that time period, what did the horse forget? Also, there's two Bafferts in here. And I, I understand, like, he's got to run the horses somewhere, and they're both Triple Crown nominated. But if this horse is supposed to be this type of horse – doesn't he just tell the owner, I'll find you any other spot. You don't want to race here because you're running for second. That is a two very good points. Um, you know, the back-to-back -back gate works. Whenever you're seeing Baffert having to do that, or, you know, you'll often see a, a string of multiple gate works back-to-back-to-back. -to -back -to -back. That's a sign that this one is having trouble breaking. Um, so another warning sign out there. But I, I love your point on, you know, not scratching the other Baffert, you know, you know, that to me says, you know, this, the, the other one could be the real deal here. Um, or Baffert's just not sure how these ones are, are going to work out, but not a sign that, Hey, this is the real deal. This one's going to trounce on debut. Uh, fully agree with you. For me, I ended up on the number two, Mr. Impossible. I'm always one from the old Quinn books. Uh, first time out when they run second in the maiden races, they usually win more than their fair share. Second time back. Rispoli, Simon Callahan, very good, 36% positive ROI. They don't do too well as a team together, but just I think in this type of race, I knew I was going to find just such extra value with Bezos going off at under even money, and for Mr. Impossible to go off at 7-2 to two and not really take any money, was it a little bit concerning? Sure, but I think there was just such a force of money going in on this Baffert that I was okay taking that price. Where did you end up in the tournament here? So this was on Sunday, no or, tournament yeah. on but um, I was live in the pick five uh, to both the one and the two um, in this race. You know, earlier in the sequence, um, the one of my write-up horses, uh, honoring major, uh, was my single and ended up coming in at seven to one, and you know left me live in in this race to the one and the two. So the one was twenty to one morning line and ended up floating all the way up to thirty-five to one. And quite honestly, it didn't it. it it didn't concern me because I figured all the money was going to come in on that first, mm -hmm. but some things I really loved about the one deservedly um, 
some angles that I looked at. And the number one, as we already talked about, I really appreciate Andy Harrington's eye for improvement, especially in young horses in the morning for his workout report. And that was something that was noted specifically on this one's work on February 1st. Really saw a big improvement in how he was doing it. Um, so that was telling me this horse is ready for a big one. Uh, number two, Glatt's wheelhouse is dirt sprints. And not only that, but Glatt also has a strong angle uh, with blinkers on second out. Uh, so both of those angles, when I dug deeper into Formulator, uh, just to see what kind of stats were out there for Glatt on that angle. Uh, let's see, it was 54% win rate, um, small sample size of only 13 starts, but seven of 13 when running on dirt sprints with blinkers on second time out. So that to me certainly was appealing, even though it was a small sample size. And last but not least, I, I really like the, the breeding on this one as well. So uh, a versatile stakes winning dam. And I really love how the Nyquists have been running. So, you know, both sire and dam side, I didn't have any concerns with. So you put all that together with 20 to one, I was licking my chops saying, you know, this horse might not win, but, and they run 20 times. I'm confident this one's going to win once. Um, and then to get the extra value on top of that from all the money that Hertz mm -hmm. and Mr. Impossible took, um, I really, I, I really liked where I was sitting and uh, believe the, Pick five was paying just over six grand um, if the one would have came in. So this one gave me a little bit of a sweat. The second horse I liked, I'm on the same, in the same boat as you with Mr. Impossible. Uh, I felt was the most likely winner of this race. There was a good amount of buzz around this one from the barns. When Concert Tour was making his debut, you know, Baffert had mentioned this, this was the one horse that he was concerned with in that race. And was entered in the stakes race with concert tour on this weekend and had scratched for this spot. So you figured Callahan was just wanting to an easier spot to break the maiden here. So um, in retrospect, and when I'm looking at the body of the field outside of concert tour, this field may have been tougher than the San Vicente. And mm -hmm. it's also been done. I think it'll be interesting to go back and take a look at this as we get further into the season. For me, it was the two Mr. Impossible for Ryan, it's the one and the deuce. Let's see who gets their maiden broken here in the fifth right now. Tivoli Twirl is out very quickly. Law Professor has speed, too. Here comes Bezos now rushing up to take second. Mr. Impossible is down at the rail, and he's coming through a narrow opening to vie for the lead. Harbored Memories will now settle in fourth, about three or four lengths off the pace. Law Professor now just behind him. Then it's Chaos Reigns on the inside of Dream Shake, deservedly at the rail, and four back to Lone Scout. Tivoli Twirl takes them into the far turn with a neck lead on Mr. Impossible. Smooth journey for Bezos coming up to them three wide now. Then it's Harbored Memories in fourth, has two lengths to make up. On the outside, Dream Shake is making some progress, and here comes Dream Shake with a nice move too. Dream Shake, four wide bid, comes after Bezos and Mr. Impossible as the field turns for home. Dream Shake, stellar move to the front. At the rail, Mr. Impossible. Bezos is in third, followed by Harvard Memories in the center of the track. It is Dream Shake in a powerful performance. Dream Shake opening up with authority. Harvard Memories moves into second, and Mr. Impossible third. Dream Shake. By five emphatic lengths. 
Harbored Memories was second. Mr. Impossible. Then it was a photo between Lone Scout and Chaos Rain. And the number nine, Dream Shake, gets it done for Pierre, who is 0 for 27 on the first time starters. The horse paid $42. Monster buyer of 96. Both our horses beat Bezos. He uh he does not look like the Derby winner. Let me just put it that way. No, not at all. I mean, just uh, complete lack of punch. I mean, watching down the backstretch, looked like was traveling comfortable and then just showed nothing in the lane. Um, so just a, a completely uh, flat effort at the end of the day by Bezos and a really impressive win by Dream, Dream Shake, which came out of nowhere. And for Peter Ertin to put up a first-time winner, um, yeah, that, that raises some eyebrows. I, I think he was 0 for his last 27 with first-time starters and 0 for his last 20 and made in special weights with uh-huh. his first. So, you know, Ertin's not one to have horses cranked first out either. I mean, he's one that really builds a foundation with them. So when you see a horse make a move like you saw with Dream Shake here or a horse that may not have been fully cranked, one to keep an eye on. Um, you know, overall breeding is not one that jumps off the page by any means, but clearly showed some good ability and finished strong. Let's talk about the number three, Harvard Memories running second. Mike Pipey, 0 for 20, maiden second time starter. So in a race like this, I'm just kind of, you know, throwing my hands up. We've got two huge stats that just, you know, they both crack in the same race and look going forward the 96 is, is very big i don't know really what i want out of this race mr impossible ran a 79 and just i feel like every horse i picked on this podcast uh either decreased the buyer by three points or improved it by three points and i never really got the leaps and bounds i was looking for yeah i, I think mr impossible is one that you can certainly keep on on the radar i i think this is one that will continue to improve i, I was surprised mr impossible was was so close to the pace and was the inside one taking the pressure on the pace. And it was just too much to handle at the end of the day because, and it wasn't slow. It wasn't ripping fast, but you know, when you have two to three horses on the outside of you applying that pressure, it's going to wear down a horse. And we certainly saw it here. So that's another one I'd be interested to see if, if Mr. Impossible can get outside of horses or, or learn to rate uh, to see how he continues to mature and improve as you know, the breeding's fantastic on that horse. And I'm just surprised uh, where, where he was spotted. I was quite honestly, I was hoping deservedly would have that spot in the race where Mr. Impossible was. And there was you know no hustle by Ricardo out of the gate at all with deservedly. So, you know, clearly didn't want the lead and was going to make one run, but it was either between horses or just taking a ton of kickback and, I'm sure got a lot out of that race for deservedly. And that is one that I will keep on my radar, um, but not anywhere close to enough for this race or to match the winner. That is all the time we have for today's pod. I want to thank my guest, Ryan McCarthy. Before I let you go though, daily gallop tournament season four. how are you doing so far on it? Um, two and two, I believe at this point. Uh, so kind of float. And I think all, each week so far, I've put up a pretty strong number, but I've run into some, some tough competition. I know Nikki Sam knit me at the wire on uh, the week prior, and I had a pretty big number up there in the high 70s um, for that day, for Pegasus Day. Uh, so unfortunately, haven't caught the brakes, but I'll come back. Come back strong. I, I told Mike, I said, if Nikki wins a third season out of four, I said, I'm not coming back anymore. You have a tough matchup this week. He's already dropped the matchups. It's you versus Ed DeRose at Fairgrounds. 
looking forward to that one for sure. Where can people find you on social media? And uh, also, good luck the rest of the way with the In the Money stuff. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. People can find me at rmccarthy1 on Twitter. And uh, I'm an open book. Feel free to reach out at any point. I typically leave my DMs open. So if you have questions or just want to talk races, happy to do so. And yeah, feel free to check out my uh, articles on In the Money. And you'll see me on the blog post there, typically Saturdays and Sundays, looking at horses to take a stand against and make cases for at Santa Anita and in the SoCal circuit. Thanks again for coming on. Look forward to having you on for Delmore, maybe even later on for this season. Excited about it, man. Always uh, enjoy coming on, Spencer, and wishing the best to you as well. Thanks again to you, the listeners, and to my special guest, Ryan McCarthy. This show is my production of In the Money Media. In the Money Media's present is Pierre Thomas Fornatel, our Chief Creative Officer is Jonathan Kinchin, and our In the Money Media Business Manager is Drew Coatney. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl, and we will see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>